Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everybody. John Manuel along with Kyle Glazer and J.J. Cooper here at Baseball America on our weekly Facebook Live. Again, all of our Facebook Lives and podcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Visit Baseballism.com to shop for hats, shirts, and more today. That's Baseballism.com. We're all wearing it. You should, too. And uh, I do see. I was complimenting some people on their uh, Baseballism gear over at USA Baseball. You see it at the ballpark uh, increasingly, uh, which I think Your is shirt, kind of where it should the go. The American flag shirt. That's the one I'm starting to see more and more. This seems like it's a popular shirt, but uh, I'm not sure where it ranks on uh, their shirt rankings. We're here to talk about prospect rankings. We do that a lot at Baseball America. We do that on Twitter. We do that on Facebook. We do that on all of our social media platforms, and we also do it in the old print magazine and the website. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about here. Kyle, you just did a story recently. We're going to talk a little bit about Mickey Moniak and uh, drafted players from last year, kind of how one year out. The 2016 draft is shaping up. We're going to talk a little bit about the cross-section of teams that try to win and win with prospects and teams that also don't do that. J.J. wrote about that recently at SBA on the BaseballAmerica.com website, and we'll, of course, take your questions. Uh, but let's start off, with Kyle, talking to San Diegans, San Diego wins. Yep. San Diegans, uh, Mickey Moe, a little bit of a surprise last year when he went first overall. Um, you know, really, I don't think we thought that he was in the mix to go first overall till May. Uh, Put him in there in May 27th, I think, was when we heard pretty uh, sure fire that he was going to go first overall, and then he did go. Um, his first year has been peaks and valleys. Uh, it's, from the outside, it feels like it's more of a down year. Um, from the inside, how did Mickey Moniak make it sound to you, and how did the coaching staff there at Low Class A Lakewood make it sound? I just saw last night on he was tweeting at Blake Rutherford. Blake Rutherford tweeted, 12-hour bus ride to Lakewood. Glad that's over. And Mickey Moe was like, what's up? So these guys <laughs> these guys were linked. They're playing against each other right now. Um, they went 17 spots between each other last year, but there really wasn't that much difference between them talent-wise last year. And Mickey Moe kind of has had, a, I would say, a solid first season, but he really hasn't proven yet that he should have been the first overall pick last year, right? You know, in talking with the folks at Lakewood, they've talked a lot about this has been a learning year for him. This is a kid who, you know, he was young for his draft class. You have to remember that. He only turned 19 in the middle of the season or early part of the season. He's got a lot to learn, but you still see all the things that made him that first overall pick. You see that beautiful, smooth left-handed swing. You saw him drive some balls a little further than he used to. I mean, so you see, even though it's not been home run power yet, you're seeing the balls go a little deeper into the gaps off the walls. You see that progress happening. You know, center field, there's been some mixed reports, but you still see the speed, the long strides, the ability to track the ball. It's not like he's, there are some draft guys, to be perfectly frank, you go out, you see them a year later and you go, wow, this guy really, really, really isn't that good. Someone messed up. Hmm. That's not Mickey Moniak. You see the talent, you see the skills and just talking, you know, his, first 50 games were actually pretty good. Right, he, he had really a little well. breakdown there of his first 100 games basically where the first 49 were very good, the second 49 not so much. And then it's talked about, he was hitting fastballs. They threw fastballs at him, he was able to hit them and once they started starting him off with some breaking pitches, kind of pitching him backwards, there was an adjustment period. Even earlier this month, you go and see him and you see the adjustment. Hey, that breaking stuff, I'm just gonna wait for my fastball. Got to 2-0 counts, drilled doubles both times. And that's something where it's just the progression of Mickey Moniak. Mm -hmm. He's a young kid. You see the skills. I wouldn't jump ship yet by any means. And, you know, people talk about makeup. This kid, 
who owns up to it. Hey, I have not had the kind of season I want. I want to be better. That goes a long, long way. You'd be amazed how many kids out there will give you the, well, you know, it's baseball. And, and I want to say accept the failure, but just kind of chalk it up in cliches. He's the kind of kid, and it was clear talking to him, he's going to attack this. Mm -hmm. He's not happy. He's going to attack this and make himself better, and that goes a long way. JJ, this is an organization where, in our midseason top 100, we debated strongly Mickey Moniak versus Sixto Sanchez at number one. Sanchez has since been promoted to high class A. He has about as easy of a 98 as you're going to see in the minor leagues. He throws a ton of strikes. At that time, I remember arguing with you and like, okay, we should keep Moniak one. What, what's the case for Sixto one over Moniak? Because I feel like it's part of it is that Mickey, he does have a 301 on base percentage. You know, it, that is what it is. He's hitting under 200 in the second half of the season. Right. I mean, but, but you have the center fielder who, I guess you've studied the low class A uh, first year, that debut of first round picks. I know you feel very strongly that how that first year goes tells you a lot about how that player is going to go. What do you, how do you rate those two players and what do you make of Mickey's first year? I, I will say like you, I, I do feel strongly about that. At the same time, Moniak fits in the group of he didn't drown. Right. This is not the season he wants to have by any stretch of the imagination. At the same time, this is not the guy who we've seen it. You get to, you are sent to low A in April and by mid-May, you are back. Sinking, yeah. you, you are back and extended because you have not shown that you are capable. Yeah, he's of, having he's having a below average season because if you look at the South Atlantic League, 317 is the league wide on base. He's got a 301. He's slugging about 356. League slugging is 368. So he's having a below average season. He still has three weeks left in the season. I don't know if he's going to get to league average, but like you said, uh, he he has not sunk. And, he just but, hasn't. He's not Ian Thorpe or uh, Michael Phelps either. The 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 the, the case. Uh, I went day, like I went dated swimming yeah. reference yeah, there like too. Yeah, Ian, uh, Ian Thorpe took me a second, but Sydney Sydney Olympics will always be first in my mind. But uh, but the case for Sixto to me, and you know, I'm I'm a Sixto to me as the top Phillies prospect is, Moniac ranked one there, and basically at the midseason, completely honestly, we were he was still one because he was the one one pick in last year's draft. He was highly regarded. It was not based off of, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but it was not based off of what we've seen of Mickey Moniak this year versus Sixto Sanchez. It right. was based off of you don't you don't push a guy down very far who was the one one pick and, yeah. a half season through his first full pro season. If you are talking about what they've done, and if you're talking tools wise, what they have right now, Sixto is now he's a pitcher. I mean that's the other argument is his pitchers are much more volatile than hitters. But Sixto's stuff, you know, if you grade it out tools-wise, he is at a higher echelon. He is in the top tier of pitching prospects when it comes to stuff. Mickey no Moniak, for Mickey Moniak to be in that top tier, he has to be a 70 hit. That's right. the, that has to be there. I agree, and that was the projection. If he is a if he's in a, a plus hitter, or I mean maybe even double plus if he's going to be a seven. But if he's a plus hitter and plus defender in center field who still uses some bags too. That's a really good player. To be that all-star, he's going to have to be that double-plus that you're talking about. Sixto Sanchez, meanwhile, we're looking really for one secondary pitch to be plus. Mm -hmm. If he has that with that fastball and that level of fastball command, I mean, I, Katie bar the door. I mean, that guy could be as good as he wants to be. He Because he does easy velocity with Fairly advanced command, JJ. Especially ball. the control. The, the command sometimes comes and goes yeah. a little bit, and by that it means 
he may miss his spot, right. but he is throwing strikes. You know, he is consistently throwing strikes. He's got 12, uh, 10 walks the entire year in 79 innings. I mean, Last this is, saw three of them in one outing. Yeah, this is, uh, so he, it, it's advanced. It's highly advanced control, like you said. I'm, he's got a chance to have plus fastball command. So those are two really intriguing guys in an organization full of really interesting guys. You just wrote about Reese Hoskins with this call-up. Hits two home runs. What, his first? first uh, uh, not first. Second game, game I think, is in the big leagues. Third. third okay. Uh, I'm giving him two, two home, home runs game already. already. His first, his was, first uh, week. First, yeah, I think third or fourth game. But you know, it's interesting you bring that up because just with the way the schedule worked out, I saw Lehigh Valley a couple games, then right after saw Lakewood a couple games, and have not had a chance to see Sixto uh, being in the Florida State League. But having seen kind of that group of guys at Lehigh and then going and seeing Mickey Moniak, I'm going to put myself out on a limb here. It would not shock me in the least out of all those guys if Reese Hoskins is the one who has the most impactful major league career. Oh, that's this is this is a guy. You talk about the power. You talk about the bat speed. You talk about really the hit. patience. And he's not that bad at first base either. That was what was impressive. People talked about he actually moved okay out there. He's not a big stiff. You see that in his bat speed times. He's got some flexibility. He's got some quick twitch to him. And you see it in the batter's box, and you see it at first base even occasionally. Look, he's never going to be Keith Hernandez and win a bunch of gold gloves, hmm. but he gets everything he should. He makes the plays he should. I mean, to me... You talk about all these guys, at the end of the day, the guy who you can stick in the middle of your order, potentially hit 30 bombs, 35 bombs a year, that might be more valuable than what you're going to get with a lot of these other guys. Maybe. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but it wouldn't shock me. The other thing that has changed, it's amazing how much things can change very quickly. When we were doing mid-season list, which is early July, at that point, J.P. Crawford was coming off of a full season of ineptitude. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He was one of the worst hitters in the International League for an 140-game stretch. He got what he drew walks. He got on base, but he showed no impact. He was not hitting for average. There really was just nothing. When you talk to scouts, there were still guys who believed in him, but it was something where at that time you said, I got to see more. Like, right. if you want him to be an impact guy, you got to see more. You're going through, we, through what we saw last year and then through June of this year where we had uh, – I think he had 10 extra base hits the first three months of the season. Uh, he had a 582 OPS in June. And then ever since then, basically since we wrote about him <laughs> in the midseason update, fire. and the, tw- the the next tweet he sent was, all it does is motivate me, or all it is is motivation. Well, 1,000 OPS Phillies, plus. you can send the then. check to Baseball America, <laughs> Austin Avenue. Cause, uh, yeah, 1025 in, Ju- in July, OPS, and 1022 so far in August. So yeah. he's hit for power. So there's it's been a really interesting year for the Phillies farm system, and I think it's also kind of – Kind of interesting that uh, the ghost of Philly's farm systems very far in the past, Ryan Howard is back in the minor leagues right now. He signed at Albuquerque with the Rockies. Rockies. Yeah, putting him in Albuquerque could be fun, actually. Yeah, it kind of surprised me. If he, if he can still uh, hit the ball with power. We actually have but, some questions uh, on, yeah. on Facebook, and one of them is a player we just mentioned, Mark Ujoa, I think is how you pronounce your last name, Mark. I uh, asked, do you think Blake Rutherford's power will come? It's a nice hit tool, future White Sox leadoff hitter. You know, I still love the comparison that I got from scouts on him into his draft year, which was Alex Gordon-ish. Not Alex Gordon 2017, but like peak <laughs> Alex Gordon. But that could be his peak. Um, a, a left fielder who's a real asset defensively and whose batting average will produce power, but it's hit over power. I do ultimately think that's Blake Rutherford. He hasn't had a home run yet for Canapolis. He actually, I thought he'd get a little kick with the trade like we saw at Eloy Jimenez. When he got <laughs> traded, who's really loved Winston-Salem, I love this ballpark. 
Um, got promoted to Birmingham, too. Did he get to double A as well? So nice. this is the time of year. We said on last week's uh, Facebook Live. But Blake Rutherford it hasn't come yet. Kyle, I still have confidence, but he's had a pretty middling season similar to Moniac, which I do think we have to remind people, hitting is hard and going high school baseball to pro ball can be very challenging. So I wouldn't write either one off, but neither one's really had like a breakthrough kind of season. The thing that people I think sometimes don't understand is for the majority of players, there's obviously exceptions, Power adding power for a high school kid is not a one off season deal. Oh, he got drafted, go in the off season and he'll come in ready to hit. 20 bombs against in full season ball. I mean, there are some special individuals who can do that. But if anything, at least for me, when you're talking about low A guys, let's see the ability to put the bat on the ball, a lot of doubles, and that will become home runs. So I wouldn't freak out. With Blake Rutherford, one thing that was a concern, not overwhelming, but something you had in the back of your mind, was he was very old for his class right. in California. And the history of guys who are old 19, you know, pushing 20, you know, as they move in that, that draft class year, it's not great. So I think with him, I'm not going to say sound the alarm bells. He's, he's a good player. I think he'll continue getting better. But it's something to keep in mind moving forward. And that's where, to me, he's different than Moniak, who Moniak is a lot younger, has had, you know, is still going through some of the changes that Rutherford has gone through already. I know it's a significant explanation of why Mickey Moe went first and Rutherford went 18th. When coming into the draft year, and then we had them very close and probably Rutherford ahead, more likely to go in a single-digit pick. I think the age factor was a huge reason uh, why Moniak went ahead. So. And, and, and the other thing with that is, is you going into next year, like you say, okay, Moniak... He'll be 19 on opening 19, next year. and he'll, you know, he'll probably be headed to high A. I mean, he's Rutherford's headed, already 20. Whereas Rutherford is headed to high A next year, and he's going to be really age-appropriate for the league. Kind of need a little bit more of that breakout to happen a little, again... They are both young guys, you know, still by the standards of, of prospects. But, no, it, it, I agree it makes a difference. All I can say is they don't check IDs on the, in the batter's box. They, they, don't check them on, they, they don't check them on the mound. They don't they check do them on the mound, but they, they do, do check them, them more in the, the batter's box. Especially, and nowadays, the thing about it is, is that— Clubs do. And the other thing about it is is that now that there are less PEDs in the game, what if you said to me what is the most significant thing that's happened with that beyond the fact that we don't have players with, whose heads grow as large and— <laughs> and who hit 77 homers, is the other part of it is, is that players age much yeah. quicker. And so it is a they young player. They age like they used to. It is a young <laughs> player's game. And the guy that you thought was a pretty solid player at 28 is often out of the league at 31. Well, again, these guys are a long ways away from that. But the reality of it is, is that we're seeing a lot of 23, 24-year-olds who are very successful big leaguers partly because it's a young man's game. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Uh, we've got a lot of good reader questions today, so let's take some of these. Russell Robbins says, uh, didn't ask politely, but I will still read your question, Russell. I want to hear about Austin Hayes, Orioles, killing it in boy in Bowie. He, he is. is. He is killing it. That's why we're going to talk about Austin Hayes. Uh, you know, next time, you feel free to say please. But Austin Hayes, top 15 in batting. Uh, he's top five in the minor leagues in home runs. This guy's got tools. Kyle, for me... I don't know that, I mean, we talked, uh, I don't know where we talked about it. I know I talked about it on MLB Network I last week. I talked about him on the chat last week, in too. In the chat, like, but, like, minor league player of the year, it's hard to, and we'll probably talk about this next week specifically, Bo Bichette and Ronald Acuna are the top two guys in this. There's still, like we said, three weeks left in the season, and, and you know, somebody could turn into Giancarlo Stanton and have, a, have themselves a month. Uh, probably not. But Austin Hayes has had a minor league player of the year caliber season. I don't know he's going to win it. 
This guy's had a monster year. For him to do what he did, you know, he goes out and has a really good high campaign. You say, great, that's promising. For him to then go to double A, which we've discussed in depth, is the single largest jump to make in the minor leagues. As, as George W. Bush used to say, it's hard. You know, that is hard. <laughs> and then to do what he's done at that level, okay, that's when you can say, okay, let's, let's, all the, all the qualifiers that were there before, they've been dropped. This is a guy we now know can legitimately rake against good pitching. It's his first year. This is not a guy who was mm -hmm, mm -hmm. scuffling two or three years. You talk about that first year moving quickly, producing at every single level, you know, that unstoppable freight train. And every year there's guys who are third, fourth, fifth round picks who pop up like that. This is Austin Hayes. 27 extra base hits, JJ, in 43 games at double A, 13 doubles, 12 home runs, and he's center field and right field. I, mean, I don't think he's a the perfect profile center fielder, okay. but he's got a premium arm for right field. He's kind of tools-wise, he's kind of like Acuna, maybe not quite as tooled say, out, not but as, not as tooled out. It's similar profile. Uh, he's pretty doggone good defensively. Right, the four I've got are very good. Acuna's center field, I think. You know, I think Acuna's more of a center fielder. The arm strength are similar. I've gotten sevens on Hayes' okay. arm, but I, what I would say right now is, is okay, Orioles top prospect. I think it's probably him because Chance Cisco. I still you don't see the same. I, I, I believe in the bat. I think that guy's gonna hit. He's gotten better receiving. The arm has been a problem. The arms, are, the arms, an issue. Which is funny because when he was coming out of high school, when I, mean, I, I covered him at Santiago, the arm is what you said. Okay, that'll work. He's got to work on the receiving and the blocking, and you know, players change, and that's right. that's player development. Things happen. Players change. So I, I do think it's it's an interesting. I think it some of it's going to depend on positional value, you know, the left-handed hitting catcher versus the power hitting right fielder. Right. But either way, you're talking about two of the top, not only two of the top 100 prospects in the game, I mean, you could argue, is Austin Hayes a top 50 prospect? He is for me. I mean, I think, I think this guy's a profile right fielder. So I'm, I'm into Austin Hayes. I think he's on the edge of that. That strikeout to walk, I, I would like to see him take a few more walks. I, I know it's not killed him at double A yet. It's the exactly only, like it's, it's Ronald is, Acuna. It's right. the same, same offensive profile. Yeah. He needs to get promoted to AAA so it can get better. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Acuna's a better prospect. He's three years younger. I'm right. not – but there are similarities in their overall profiles. Acuna's tools are one louder, basically. You know, it's interesting. We just talked about Bo Bichette. We just talked about Austin Hayes, guys who were last year's draft class that weren't first-rounders. And we talked about this a little bit. Is it too soon to redraft the first round of last year? And it'd what, be a fun column, actually. And then would, so should look would, into that. You know, would, <laughs> would you still go Mickey Moniak one one? Because I feel like that's no. a question a lot of Phillies are asking. And depends on the signing price. I mean, honestly, that's because getting Mickey Moniak also allowed them to get Kyle uh, Kevin Gowdy. Kevin Gowdy, and also allowed them to get Cole Stobie. So it wasn't just about getting mm -hmm. Mickey Mo. It's that portfolio approach. I do know that one year later. You look at the Orioles, and last year we ran a story in spring training. The Orioles were, hey, we're really excited about last year's draft class. We got three pitchers we like, and Sedlock, uh, Cody Sedlock, Keegan Aiken, and Matthias Dietz, and we really like Austin Hayes, too. Well, Matthias Dietz is scuffled in low A. Keegan Aiken's gotten a high A's, had highs and lows. Cody Sedlock got off to a great start and has not maintained that great start. In, Six as a matter of fact, high A is a yeah, he's headed in the opposite direction. A, concerning for a, a, a D1 pitcher. But you do look at the Orioles draft from last year, and you're like, okay, you check the Austin Hayes box, you have to be patient on these pitchers, and you took your six-rounder, Tobias Myers, and traded him for Tim Beckham, who you have three years of control, and so far so good on Tim Beckham uh, in Baltimore. So uh, there are worse ways to do this. I, I've got to do a shout-out for one of these. It's not really a question, but uh, we have Rayborn Ditter watching, which I have to assume... Of checking the uh, profile is either 
father or relative of Ray Patrick Ditter. You Brave, love you love Ray Patrick who, Ditter. Who, by the way, I mean all name know, team for sure. All name team. You know, a, a toolsy guy. But also the interesting thing is, is him who's played not just center field. He's always had an arm playing shortstop too. Which really, who does he think he is, Ryan Cordell? So you know, uh, again, shout out there. Good to see you watching. You know, let's go rapid fire the rest of these questions. We got a lot of great questions. Thank you guys all for the questions, uh, and even for those of you who, who didn't ask questions for watching. Jack Cecil asks, is O'Neill Cruz a freak athlete or is an oddity on the field? JJ Cooper. Um, he is the he's a he is a freak athlete, but at the same time, he's also the concerns of when you are scouting 14-year-olds and you go, I like this six foot one guy. <laughs> right. And then by the time you sign him, you go, I like this six foot four guy. And then by the time he shows up for his first season, he can actually play a game and you go, Whoa, he's six six. Please stop growing. Yeah. And that's O'Neill Cruz. In, in a nutshell, I mean, uh, traded from the Dodgers of the Pirates, correct? Mm -hmm. um, so uh, playing shortstop, third base, all over the infield. We'll see how that goes. But he, he will I'd not take, be a shortstop. I, I would take the that. flyer on him. Though. I'm, I'm, yeah. I like, I, I, I'm very intrigued. Uh, Sean Clark asks, Kyle, how much of what Sheldon Noisy is doing is natural talent? How much is the launching pad that is the Cal League? Now, he's out of the Cal League, promoted to AA. You know, I just got this question in the chat last week. And go back and look. People need to realize now that High Desert and Bakersfield, which is a hitter's park, are gone, the only hitter's parks left in the Cal League are Lancaster and Visalia. Well, he did play in Visalia. That's not where he raked. He raked in Stockton, which yeah. is not an easy park. And, and also to... somewhere you want to get out of as soon as possible. All apologies to Stockton. And then Modesto, which is a, the home run factor is 49. It is one of the hardest places hmm. to hit a home run in minor league baseball. No one goes yard in Modesto. He did it three times in three games. What Sheldon Noisy did, the parts he did it in, are absolutely real. And I think people need to get out of this mindset of, oh, the Cali's a hitter's paradise now. Well, they lost two of them. The other two, Lancaster and Visalia, Stockton doesn't really ever go to Lancaster. It's like a once-a-year deal with the right. schedule. And he played in Visalia. It's not where he did his damage. To do it in Stockton and Modesto, absolutely legit. Talk Again, 2016 second, third-round pick types, yeah. those college third basemen who can you hit. Right up your alley. And, and this is also a dude who was our preseason college All-American going into his sophomore year. Right. Like, this is a dude who's been a dude. No question. It's not like he came out of nowhere. There is a long track record there as well. That's a, you made my point. Uh, Kevin LaMontagne wants to ask, when will we see Brendan Rodgers in Colorado? And Mike Price and saying, giving up on Trevor Story already? JJ, I don't think the Rockies are giving up on him, but Trevor Story is doing what Trevor Story does, which is strike out a lot. So this is, when is this Brendan is Rodgers Trevor, ready? This is the Trevor Story experience. Like, it's the Trevor last Story year, story. Last year's April was yes. beyond Trevor Story's ability level. I mean, he did it. It counts. You put it in the book. But this is what Trevor's story is. Low average, high strikeouts with power. You can get a little better at that, but you have to expect it. You're hoping that the 40% strikeout rate becomes the 35% so strikeout. The short, the short answer is, as someone who had covered B-Rod mm -hmm. this year and has just wrote about story, you can read about him three up and three down today, Brendan Rodgers will make his major league debut next year. He will take the starting shortstop job from Trevor Story. He's just a better all-around player who's more reliable. I mean, Trevor Story, you know, we talk about, you know, big strikeouts, big power. The strikeouts have been so prohibitive this year, he's slugging under 400. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a situation now where you can talk about raw power all you want. In the major leagues, you got to get to it. If you don't get to it, it doesn't matter. He's not getting to it frequently enough to justify it. 40.2% strikeout rate. And look, there's been injuries. It's epic. The thumb, the shoulder strain, maybe it's taken a toll. But simply put, I mean, I wrote this. Simply put, the status quo will not do. And if this continues... B-Rod's going to take the job quick, sooner rather than later. And the Rockies have, I think, actually, the, the, if they're middle, I would, I would be 
very interested to see where they'd be as a team if their middle infield had been anything close to what they hoped it would be. Because DJ LeMayhew's like under 100 OPS plus as well. He hits for a pretty empty average. Story strikes out a ton. He does have power. He crushes left-handed pitching. I guess right-handed pitching, he's just, uh, I think it just it was 110 strikeouts, I think, in 264 bats. It's a lot. It's just, he just does not and, get and the, the spin is, I don't like. So. And the other thing with story is it's gotten worse. I went right. back and looked. He's, it's not progressive. I believe it's 23 strikeouts in his last 52 plate appearances. So now we're pushing 50% strikeout rates over the last month or so. Not, no, it's not good. Uh, Sean Timulty asks, JJ, uh, do you think Tyler Molly will be called up soon? He's arguably, arguably the second best arm in Cincinnati. IMO. I'm not sure who else's opinion it would be, Sean, if, you, if you're the one typing it. But Tyler Molly, this is not a premium stuff guy. The Reds have tried some of those, JJ. They haven't, most of them haven't worked. I think he throws harder than Scooter Jeanette when Jeanette <laughs> yes. drops down. Yes. But what's your, what's your ETA on Tyler Molly in Next Cincinnati? Year. Next year, just from the standpoint of you don't have to add him to the 40-man roster. I'm sorry, it does not matter. If you thought that Tyler Molle going out there could make you five games better. That's probably uh, which uh, that's not a reason gonna not happen, to do it, though. <laughs> but it is not going to happen. He's not that good. But if, even if he was, it would not matter over the rest of the season. It's just not important enough to me to start the clock early, to have to protect him before you have to protect him on the uh, 40 man. There's just no reason not to wait to next year. And he goes to spring. But I do think it's also safe, safe to say, you send him to spring training, and he goes into spring training knowing, I can work, I can win a job here. Now that job may be in May because you know that's how service time works, but I can win a job in, with a strong spring. And Kyle, you just saw him recently, and it was more uh, good, not great. He didn't, he didn't wow you when you saw him, but at the same time, even without his best stuff, he went through a good AAA lineup, five, six innings, right? Yeah, he performed. And that's the end of the day. We can sit here, you know, it's always tough to battle, okay, performance versus, you know, scouting report. You know, what came up, his own pitching coach said it, tape recorder in hand, on the record for everyone to, you know, know that, hey, his breaking stuff, his off-speed stuff right now, secondary stuff, is not great yet. He, you know, straight up, they're both maybe average, probably below. And so that's a development he needs to make and one hope needs to take. But again, he's still young. He's just now, you know, he's only been in AAA for half a season. Mm -hmm. It's not like this is a guy who's right. been there for a year plus. And he's not getting stale. Right. He's get he's making making progress, getting better, and, and that's where it goes back to. If he comes up to Cincinnati, he's not ready yet. Despite you know, I think people sometimes want to scout the stat line. Mm -hmm. He's not ready for major league hitters right now. He may very well be by next April, but that's a process. I mean, so if you throw him in Cincinnati right now in that ballpark. It doesn't do the Reds any good. It doesn't do him any good. Right. There's no real point to They've it. They've seen that story of pitchers not ready in Cincinnati. It's uh, not pretty. Let's go even more rapid fire. Uh, Kyle, Brian Fuss wants to know, how does Kevin Maiton look during his first year of pro ball? You saw him. You shot the video in Danville. What's your, what was your takeaway? Let me... He's, he's going to have to maintain the body. You know, it was interesting watching the video of him, what he looked like last year when he came up, and you saw some... You know, some length, some lankiness, like it could work. And then he's gotten very thick in the lower half. And we've seen that affect his ability to move a little bit. You know, even, you know, he's up to 211 pounds. He was 175 when he signed. That's a pretty... It's the O'Neill Cruz thing, but they're in different As I say, yeah, so, it's, like, it's more Miguel Sano than O'Neill Cruz. He's really going to have to watch that. I mean, you see some of the potential with the bat. You really, really see, you know, some gifts there. Um, you know, he, he has really good hands. You saw him make some plays at shortstop that... You know, even if he can't, you know, get the weight off, he's not going to have to move to the outfield. He can handle third. I think there's promise there. 
I would say this though, you talk about, well, he's, you know, he's 17, he's in the Appalachian League, and you compare what 17-year-old Vlad Jr. did in the Appalachian League last year, it's a pretty different level. Yep. So I, I do think that, you know, if you're a Braves fan, you're hoping that Kevin Maiton is going to be a top 10 prospect this time next year like Vlad Jr. has been. You're tempering that enthusiasm. I'm, I would temper that, but he's still a very talented young kid who's got a lot of development right. left, you know, skill-wise, physically. I, I wouldn't be concerned. I wouldn't go crazy. What Vladdy did is that's the unusual. Right. And so that's one thing. I mean, again, that's why he is the number two prospect. Right? That so should like, not be the standard you hold 17-year-olds right. right. to. No <laughs> question. Absolutely not. Um, J.J. Allen Moody wants to know, who do you think is the best player in the South Atlantic League? Who's the best? Maybe not so much left, but you're going to do the South say, Atlantic League uh, top 20. I'm doing the year. top 20. I, I, I've got 67 names as kind of a starting point for the top 20. Um, JJ but, goes long, everybody. Just know this. JJ yeah. always goes deeper. But again, we're also doing. We're preparing for the top 30s too. So, uh, but Sixto Sanchez will be very high up on that list. How about I'll just do that on the prospect list? Yeah, I mean Esteban Florial was a, from a position mm -hmm. player standpoint, probably one of the most. Exciting players in that league, I would think. Oh, it's a, it's a good list, is it all? Daniel Johnson, if he's still there in Hagerstown, that's a good one. He's already up. but he's, mm -hmm. That's right, he already got called the high A. I like, I like that, throwing out some of those names. Um, Aaron Eric Simmons asked two questions that I can easily answer. Will Preston Morrison ever make the major leagues? I think yes. I think he'll be on Team North Carolina's alumni list. Uh, it'll be like as a low-slot reliever. Uh, I don't think he'll be a starter like he was at TCU, but I do think Preston Morrison can make it. And why hasn't Mark Appel been at, number, at AAA? Hurt. He's been hurt all year. I forget what specifically the not the all shoulder, year. He, he, not elbow. all year. Last year was the all year. This okay. year, but this year he has been hurt again. And also, this, just not very good. But at this point, the reality of it is, is that I do think if you're the Phillies in the off season with a very tight forty man, you're going to have to. I mean, we are to the point where you are asking the question. You probably keep him on the forty man, but when you're saying, okay, we're tight. Where is our room here? You're at least asking the question, is Mark Appel a guy that we DFA you know, or trade? Here, here's yeah. the thing with Mark Appel, and this is the, the cautionary tale. When you're watching and evaluating a player, don't just look at the pitch and look at the radar gun. Watch how the stuff plays, because it came up Watch again the hitters. and again and again that, he, yeah, he throws this 98-mile-an-hour fastball, but there's a lot of contact on it. Well, and, 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 and also, he, he, his slider is something where as immediately as soon as he went into the stretch, it was generally... It, he lost it. So, and that's that's where you really, really need to watch. What kind of swings are the hitters getting on these pitches? Does it look like they're tracking it? Are they picking it up? And when they do hit it, are they driving it? Is it little dribblers? I mean, you really, really need to watch how stuff plays. You look, having the velo readings, it's important. Write it down. But you have to watch the game. I mean, but he is a player, though, to me, that it encapsulates when people say the draft's a crapshoot, and sometimes people kind of push back on that and say, well, it's really not. I even thought about this myself. Like, is it really a crapshoot? We have a lot more information. He was a first-round pick twice Top in back-to-back -back years. Twice. Eighth and then first. And these are by the Pirates and the Astros, who have both drafted pretty mm -hmm. well in recent years. I don't think these, these two organizations are filled with fools. I think they're filled with smart players and I mean, smart executives and really good scouts. And they both missed. It's not because... Mm -hmm. So I think really, eventually, a lot of this has to go to the player. The player wasn't good enough. Why he wasn't good enough, That's a, we don't have time on a Facebook Live to really go into it, but ultimately I think it rests with Mark Appel. A um, couple other real questions. I, okay, sentence each, we're doing this. Yes. Rick Rolfs, would you rather see Hunter Green play shortstop or pitcher? He's batting. He's not even playing shortstop. He's just DHing in Billings and pitching. had four hits last night. Pitching. Pitching. You, rather, you pitching. Both, both want to see pitching? I'm going to go with Harold Reynolds and say I want to see him hit, just, just to be contrarian. 
Uh, Mike Duggan, we already answered that one. I'm sorry. Uh, Kurt Mack, good friend of mine, is a Yankees prospect. Mike Ford, can we see him at the major league level at some point? I'm going to say signs point to no. I'm not even sure Mike Ford is actually still in the minor leagues with the Yankees anymore. Um, JJ, how high will Michael Chavis climb, uh, being that Rafael Devers has done well at the major league level? I'm not saying he's going to replace Devers, Devers as the Red Sox top prospect, um, but he's probably their top position player prospect, isn't he? He is their top position player prospect. He's, he's, I think right now you'd say he's number two. You're going to give Jay Groom still the, uh, you know, basically the benefit of the doubt on what's been a pretty up and down season that has shown flashes. But after that, Chavis, the step forward he's made this year is significant. When we talk about tough places to hit home runs, Salem was a really tough place to hit home runs. He had no problem there. Set the career record in a half season. I mean, not bad. Yeah. I think that uh, was five sentences. I'm sorry. <laughs> Seth Stowe's Twins blogger asks uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on Royce Lewis jumping up to the Midwest League from the Gulf Coast League? Twins didn't do that with Maurer, Buxton, Gordon, anyone. It's aggressive. It's. I'm generally for high school kids. I'm more let's ease him into that first year of pro ball, but he performed, so it, you know it's not crazy. If you perform, give him a shot. I'm on the Royce Lewis train, so I'm I'm I, there. I love it. I think it was a smart move to do. He is going to gain gain much more going into the off season, having had this three weeks than he would if he didn't. Put this way, I don't think he's the same level of compromise that Mickey Moniak might have been. So we, we, we that's a little mint on the pillow. That's where we started with the. With the uh, Facebook Live, that's where we're going to wrap it up. we got a lot more questions. Just don't have time to get to them all. We're already over a half hour, and uh, frankly, that's our allotment. We're going to run out of data here. So for J.J. Cooper and for Kyle Glazer, I'm John Manuel. We want to thank you for tuning in today. Remind you that our podcast of Facebook Live is sponsored by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism.com, shop for hats, shirts, and more today. Until next week, we'll see you back here at Facebook.com slash Baseball America Mag. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.